All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Agitator. Today on the show, we are here to talk about 1998's Metal Gear Solid, directed by Hideo Kojima. Did I get that right? Did I fuck that up already? It was 98, right? Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah, it was 98. Yeah. I thought I remember that because I remember uh, counting down the days until this game came out and then finally holding that beautiful, you know, stark white case in my hands and knowing that it was going to be the best thing I'd ever experienced ever. Today, we have a very special guest on the show, fella, Sam, Outer Zone, uh, one of my favorite Twitter people, uh, because you just, you love shit, man. Your, your whole, exp- like, I'm big on this idea of not being a, a pundit online and not, you know, having to comment on every fucking thing that comes down the pipeline. So, I mean, you just post video game shit. Right. And so you're the perfect person to talk to about Metal Gear. So thanks for thanks for coming on. Thank you guys for letting me be on. Uh, I love you. I love your show like religiously, as you guys saw, where I went through your entire show in like three weeks. (laughs) That Uh, was the greatest thing ever. uh, Well, it it helps that your a lot of your episodes are like bite-sized hour uh chunks which made it easy at work where i could just pop in a a, a headphone and just like slam through five episodes a day oh yeah we're for the working man (laughs) it's a working man's podcast the working class podcast yep (laughs) so before we get into the the game itself which i'm sure you know way more than i do about that see this is this is basically so that kelby and i don't have to do very much we're just like who, who who knows the most shit about what we're about to talk about we'll just invite them on and let them talk and i'll uh you know drink bubbly and vape but um i almost swallowed a jewel pod today it was really scary so anyway so i but you have mentioned on you know a lot of your posts are like you know it's real gamer hours like gamer this gamer that and I was curious because I was not into video games when Gamergate happened. So I, I don't even really know what it is. And this might be completely off topic, but I'm kind of fascinated by this. Because like my, my basic understanding of it is that basically women came in and ruined video games. But maybe <laughs> you can like elucidate that for me. Like what was going on with, with Gamergate? Well, for one part, you're not wrong there. But um <laughs> So it's it's kind of a complicated story. From my memory, it was basically there was this woman named Zoe Quinn who made this. It was not even a game. It was like an interactive web browser under the disguise of a game called Depression Quest. And the, uh, the thing is, if uh, she basically was sleeping with a bunch of games media people yeah. and, you know, that got out and people are like, you know, 
like what the fuck is going on here like you should like not be giving this woman credit for basically making like a slideshow on the internet and saying it's like a video game and then the games media basically all at once it i and i i mean that when i say it was like all at once basically within like five days or something like that where they all published articles saying how like gaming needs to grow up or something basically saying uh men shouldn't be the primary audience anymore so in retaliation gamers started to like you know flood you know the gamergate hashtag everywhere and to sort of at its core it was all about like you know games journalism needs to be like not biased and everything but then it turned into the whole libtard you know routine Mm -hmm. It's sexist, gamers are racist, sexist, homophobic, you know, all that, you know, hullabaloo. But, and honestly, this thing had been building for years, like this whole ethics in games journalism thing. Like there was um, in the mid 2000s, there was a controversy with Driver 3 where Mm -hmm. they gave favorable coverage to a game, even though Driver 3 was literally broken on release. Like, uh, there was like one ma- there was one review magazine that gave it like an eight and when people see eights nowadays they're like oh that means it's really good but when players got it it was like literally a broken game it had glitches it was just not good and you know people forget this about driver driver was a huge franchise at the time i you had know- yeah i had driver one and two i think it was a playstation right just the first playstation i think at- at the yeah. very at the least i can't remember if they ported it but you know the point being is driver was kind of on the level of grand theft auto at one mm-hmm. point yeah right so like there was you know so when it came out like oh this game's actually terrible and the press was giving it favorable coverage like you're like what's going on here and i, I believe like the publisher gave this magazine like money to say good things about it mm-hmm. which which has happened before there's like an instance with the first Kane and Lynch game where it was proven that the publisher gave reviewers uh, money for higher scores. There was a famous incident with Mass Effect 3 where uh, reviewers ba- were giving really extreme favor co- favorable coverage, but when people got it, they're like, "What the? why is there only three endings? We were promised so much more. And there was a whole controversy with that game too so gamergate was like leading there was stuff leading to gamergate but i didn't personally get involved in it honestly until it kind of ended in 2016 ish Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i i had conversations with one of the guys who i wouldn't say he was like a figurehead of it because like milo yiannopoulos kind of got his start at least that i know of that's where he kind of grew grew famous from okay was and so there was a bunch of like these like it was about basically like YouTube people, like, you know, these skeptic critics, whatever. I don't even remember. But this guy was like famous because he like outed one of the moderators for Zoe Quinn's Twitch channel as like a pedophile or something. <laughs> and and so, yeah, like I've talked to this guy and he was pretty cool, uh, but I haven't talked to him in like five years. He He made like a sudden change in how he post content where he deleted all his gamergate stuff and then started posting like extreme uh conspiracy theorist videos i was like oh, okay 
right. 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 Well, I, I love conspiracy theories. So, I mean, that's, I'd have to look at it to see if it was, it was good, but no, I mean, that always does seem to, people like to distance themselves, but what, what I think is interesting about what you're saying is that it actually to a much smaller extent, because people don't really read as much as certainly not as much as they play video games, but mm-hmm. it just reminds me of I, when I was in the book world, I was always fighting this kind of one man battle against the, the sort of mutual love fest that was going on. So in books, nobody is going to be paying anybody any money for Mm. reviews. Like that's just the Mm -hmm. money's not, nobody has any money. So it's just not going to happen, but I don't know. It was just this thing where every book that would come out, it felt like everybody kind of jerked each other off to, you know, like this book is, and what, what you basically want and what it sounds like the gamers in this scenario (laughs) wanted is like to just have people give your honest fucking opinion about stuff, you know, like I want to know what you think because I have a, you know, I have a limited budget. I can't buy every game that comes out. So you just have to be honest. And I don't know, it's, it's, it really has seemed to be like every time I would do it, it would be like the person who I was critiquing or the book that I was critiquing, they would send me stuff like, uh, you know, you really hurt me when you said that, you know, like it all of a sudden become <laughs> this victim thing where I was like, you know, offending them or, or, you know, hurting their sensibilities or something. And then that drives you even crazier because you're like, I'm not doing this because you're black or because you're a woman, or I'm doing this because your book sucks and <laughs> everybody says that it's good and it's not. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I, I, I feel that man, I feel, and I feel like that's, I feel like you just, you literally can't trust anybody anymore about what's good because there's always some reason that's outside of the game or the movie or the book itself as as to why people are are saying they enjoy something so anyway thank you for telling me about gamergate yeah i mean like you were saying uh, games are such they're unique in the sense that they're really expensive medium like you know some PS5 games go for $70 now. I mean, yeah. they, they were 60 for like over a decade. But so a lot of people, they want to know, like, is this $60 going to be worth it? Like, am I putting my money into something good? Um, so now you have people who do all these review things like on the Internet, like through YouTube, where they try to position themselves as like, you know, I'm an unbiased reviewer. I'm, I'm the gamer's gamer, you know, sort of thing. Cause you know, games journalism is, it's nothing like it used to be back in the day. And I, I mean, I, I wasn't, you know, around when like edge magazine was in its prime or anything, but if you were to read reviews back in the day, of magazines from like the nineties or two thousands and you compare them to today they're they, they almost are completely different. I mean, the people who were writing reviews back in the day, they were people who generally loved video games and that's all they wanted to talk about is like, they would get like the new game in their hand. They would be as honest as they could with it, say what they like, say what they did. And then that was it. And the review would take up like, a page 
if it was like a standard game now nowadays it's like reviewers are like these failed like the game reviewers are like failed writers and they're trying desperately to prove to their parents that their major in college you know was worth it like i'm a serious i'm a serious writer mom i'm writing about bug snacks for ps5 please t- it's real i'm mm-hmm. i, I want to be in san mm-hmm. francisco but i'm going to be a writer trust me it's like it's that type of crowd where they're so desperate to prove that they could be something and there, there's there and you're seeing people now like the there was a the, one of the new Star Wars games, the uh, Fallen Order or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. one of the writers was a former game journalist, like from this crowd. They're all just mm-hmm. trying to get like a job to be a writer. Mm-hmm. But it's mm-hmm. it's a means to an end for them. So they don't they don't care that they you know will purposely lie or say something that's not true. Like I remember. Um, IGN wrote a review for Persona 5 uh you know and I I and Persona is a series I I hope I love near and dear to me it's a it's a JRPG series you know and Persona 5 was a huge game five years ago and IGN gave it like a glowing glowing review a 9.7 out of 10 Mm -hmm. and literally the reviewer he deducted point the point three points he didn't give it is because the game made a, a quote homophobic joke. Oh no! Oh <laughs> and, no! And, and the and the and the scene was literally the scene was one of the characters because it's about a, it's about high schoolers and they go to like Shinjuku and two gay guys come over to one of the high schoolers. It's like, oh, you'd be so cute. You should come with us. And they just like take them away. And it's like that's homophobic. They're like that's funny. It is funny, yeah. And also, I mean, being kidnapped by homosexuals is a real <laughs> threat. I mean, you know how it is. Um, but, you know, I mean, this, but this still. I mean, like, I don't mean to keep bringing it back to books, but I mean, that's when I started doing books. I was indie. I still am indie. Do it yourself, and I was really hyped because 10, 15 years ago, the indie scene in lit was was really cool. And it didn't, I mean, it didn't really have a, I don't think it really had a diversity problem or anything like that. I mean, because I was with all these fucking weirdos who couldn't find placement in the mainstream. And a lot of people called that era the, the golden age of indie lit because so many cool books were coming out. And <laughs> I don't know. It's just at a certain point, I started realizing like, oh, most of the people who are involved in this are using this and social connections to try to get a mainstream uh, book deal. And mm-hmm. that's, a, that's not the point, right? The point was that we were supposed to all kind of work together to create our own thing that, you know, maybe didn't quite have the, the reach or the power of the mainstream book world, but that was our thing, right? That we could all make, you know, I'd have my press, these people would have their presses and you suddenly started to see, uh, you know, authors, uh, I don't, it sounds so gay to be like, they were jumping ship or they were selling out. Cause like, whatever, get your money. But I, I guess it's just like, it turned out that there was no real, uh, no real urge to actually be independent. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then you start seeing it with like, 
every fucking because like the the book industry is is largely run by like white liberal women so Mm -hmm. if the boss is a white liberal woman then the dominant uh, ideological discourse is going to be like terrible you know Mm -hmm. and you just start to see like everybody every new thing that comes down the pipeline every writer has the same opinion on it and it's like oh never like people who used to be really cool who would talk about you know insane movies that had a lot of i guess you could call it problematic shit suddenly they were i don't know these pinnacles of morality and everything was about anyway i don't want to get too far into this, <laughs> but it is interesting that like i think there's like a core theme that we can tie back to metal gear here which is that like metal gear came out in a time when you just you just fucked with shit because it was cool right mm-hmm. like Metal Gear wasn't interesting because of it checking boxes that you had to check. And I I feel it though. I feel that shit coming. Like, what do you, Kelby and I have talked about this. So what do you think, Kelby? Like it's coming back, right? We're we're going back to just liking shit because it's cool. I think it's absolutely coming back. And I think that like, that's why I fuck with uh, your profile so much, fellas, because like, I just saw you as one of these people who just fucks with cool shit and was like, oh, <laughs> yes, thank you. Like, literally, that's all there is. Like, you don't have to, it doesn't need to advance past that. You just love cool shit. You want shit to be cool. Like, that's it. And then you just, harmony grows out of that. Like, what more do you want? <laughs> and yeah. you can squat like 700 pounds. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, not that, not that. Uh, my max was 445 back when before I threw out my back. So, oh man, I, I, thought, I, you, I, I thought you were beast mode, dude. I thought you I, were fucking. I, I, I could have been elite. I could <laughs> have been Vulc- I could have been Vulcan Raven, but you know, I yeah. get I had to settle. You know, oh well. <laughs> you're a big dude, right? How tall are you? Uh, I'm six four. God damn, you're a monster. So you just like <laughs> rip people, rip people in half. What's it like being six four? It's dope, uh, right? Uh, you hit your head on door frames a lot. I'm just kidding. It's funny because when I was, I last time I was in Japan, uh, I was with my dad and we stayed at a traditional Japanese inn. And uh, yeah, when the lady was told me that and she's, it was built for Japanese men like 400 years ago. And I'm just like, oh no that's not a good sign <laughs> and so i hit my head twice in that building and uh when they say traditional in it's like you know the shower is like uh like a wood like a it's like a wooden tub that is probably no bigger than like you know a, a big laundry hamper or something like that so i was like yeah maybe i'll just stick to the marriott's next time yeah i stayed in one of those traditional ones in korea it was pretty dope it was the first place i've been to though where i couldn't flush toilet paper that was a bizarre experience i had to put my shitty toilet paper in a trash can next to me i was like so this is people are animals but no it was cool though it was really they had modern air conditioning so that that worked out okay oh they they your place didn't believe in fan death what is that oh i granted i could be talking on my ass but i swear that koreans have this belief that 
like ceiling fans uh, during the night could kill them uh, because they would like <laughs> suck the air out of the room or something. So for apparently for the longest <laughs> time, Koreans didn't have like ceiling fans. And that's amazing. Uh, that's... But granted, I could be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure that this is a real thing that Korea believes in and i'm that glad so that funny. I'm i like, glad... I like the idea that you just saw some racist shit on the internet like, yeah that's true that's, that's definitely true it's probably it's probably right you know I, it's on the internet why should i question it oh that's too funny yeah i've never been to J- i gotta go to japan man i gotta go it, to tokyo it uh, i because i was over there in 2016 and me being you know the gamer i went over to a bunch of stores and it's like because like i as you two know like i collect retro stuff and here in america collecting retro stuff could be like you know a headache and a half like in japan because they they have a culture of preserving things so you like for example i'll just because this one sticks clear in my mind um and i'll use persona again persona 2 is a ps1 game and it's a duology um japan got the first and the second one innocent sin and eternal punishment but in america we only got eternal eternal punishment um over here in america persona 2 costs 350 dollars to buy in japan in japan it's seven dollars fuck yeah that's what's up dude that's a a gamer's paradise you know you'll go into these stores like and they have like dreamcasts all like you know in really good condition like wrapped in plastic for like fifty dollars and it's Mm. like they have stuff from like the you know the famicom like the nes like just waiting there like you could just buy like a handful of stuff they're all the cartridges are like five dollars and they have like collector's stuff like like that's where um i'm sure because i think you retweeted that post i did today david um uh, with the you know the I have like the Japanese Metal Gear games on the top of my shelf. Uh, mm-hmm. The two ones that are like wrapped in plastic, those are from Japan. Like when I was over there, mm-hmm. and the both of them are like three dollars, and they're like they're wrapped in plastic. They have special like manuals in them, and they it's just like it, over there. It's just so much cooler. Like mm-hmm. over here, it's just like this it's just like nostalgia baiting and then eBay sellers like want to get a quick buck off people who don't know better. Mm. Like it, 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 silent Hill one goes for $200. Like what? really? Yeah. Jesus Christ. The, the silent, the silent Hill games are ridiculously expensive. Like silent Hill one's $200. Two is 120. Uh, silent Hill three is like $170. Like, and it makes no sense because it's all like, it's it's kind of like, oh, Silent Hills like one of the best horror franchises, obviously. But then, it's because Konami has never re-released them. Konami put out a terrible HD re-release of two and three, and you know, and Silent Hills basically dead now. They're not going to be making new ones. So you just you run into this instance where people are just like oh yeah these are rare now because we're never going to get them re-released konami doesn't care so we're gonna you know mm-hmm. prey upon some like 
you know, person who played it when they were like 15 be like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's worth $200. You better pay up. And I'm just like, Sony sells Silent Hill one for $10 on the PS3 store. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Right. Like right, that, right. That, yeah. That should be something that should be enough to kind of get that. But then people like physical stuff, man. They, they want I, that, that, but, that box, you know, yeah, you like those boxes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, like you said, Metal Gear One comes in like this pristine white, you know, jewel case, the du- uh, a double jewel case because it's a two disc yeah. game, mm-hmm. and you know, you look at it and it that that's like the thing about box art is like you could look at something and it you get a clear picture of what it is. Like you can look at in many cases metal gear will use like yoji shinkawa art and his art is incredible like it's it's part of the the allure of the series is his is his character designs and his technical designs for you know metal gears or in death stranding you know doing the character designs and all the uh you know all the technical designs like uh, it sells a mood it sells an aesthetic and you know, to have that on display is, you know, I, for me, I always just, I could just pull out a random game. Like I have like a PS2 game that I, I got, even though it's not good, it's called auto modelista for the PS2, but it has this great cell shaded, like Dodge Viper on the cover. And like, mm-hmm. that looks cool. Like yeah. I get the entire, I get the entire uh, message that this game is trying to sell me. So, Here's something that I've wondered, and I've actually never asked Kelby this. Kelby, how did you get into games? Did you just play games when you were a kid or what? I know that you guys were really poor, so I don't know if you. (laughs) Um, I'm just kidding. You weren't poor. You guys were just, you know, working class. Just, you know, uh, just financially challenged. Financially um, challenged. <laughs> the, uh, so I had a PlayStation at a really young age. Uh, I don't remember games being super expensive, but I didn't have a lot either. And I inherited a lot of shit. You know what? I stole my PlayStation from my uncles uh, and never gave it back. Um, <laughs> there you go. That's what's up. Yeah. Finesse. Hell yeah! Always. I stole uh, Silent Hill three from Hollywood Video. I just never returned that shit. So now I'm a fucking millionaire. (laughs) (laughs) But Metal Gear Solid, I got into first at a uh, a punk venue where uh, my cousin was in a band, and I had no interest in watching them perform. But they played at this one venue a lot and i would just go to hang out and stuff and i was about seven whenever there was this it was this venue that had like uh pool tables and like a concession stand like it was this whole like hangout spot and they had you know little 12 inch analog tvs hooked up to nintendo 64 and playstation and shit and I saw people playing the first Metal Gear Solid and was like, what in the hell is this? Because uh, 
that's like verbatim my reaction seven years old i was like bro what the fuck Uh, (laughs) but so I, i got my chance to play it and it was like nothing like because you know i'm i'm used to playing like street fighter or or like you know super mario or something like it's either a platformer or it's a fighting game and metal gear solid is all about that sneaking around trying not to get detected and uh you know paying attention to the story so you know what to do and you using your inventory responsibly like i was like what like it was so much for my little mind to handle and uh I had to have that game. So I waited till one of my uncles copped it and then I stole it. And, you know, eventually, I think it took me till I was like a teenager to actually be able to play that game. Cause I just wanted to, you know, shoot people and shit. And that's, that's not how you play Metal Gear. Uh, but yeah, that's how I got into that. And, and I guess, games in general yeah i just ended up somehow having games at different points yeah i think i was just fascinated because my dad was in the military and i got into games when i was like nine or ten which would have been 1995 or six or something like that and so we lived in germany and one of the magazines that would get you know be in the px was a egm electronic gaming monthly so i would start buying those and I just became obsessed with games based off of Sam, what you were talking about earlier, with like the actual good games journalism, like people writing about games. I became fascinated. I was like, I gotta, I'd never played a game before because my, my mom was, uh, she was, she went on some weird crusades when I was a kid and, you know, didn't want me playing fucked up shit. And, you know, like Mortal Kombat, she knew that my friends had Mortal Kombat and stuff. So she would be like, you know, don't play that. But I became obsessed. And then because I was 10 and retarded, I really wanted a Sega Saturn. So <laughs> when <laughs> when uh, I still have those games too, they're in a bucket behind me. I have like some pretty cool games. I have like Panzer Dragoon and... Uh, Wait, what, oh, uh, can I stop you there? Do you know what Panzer Dragoon it is? why uh, I think. Oh, I, I was going to say, uh, if you had Saga, you were sitting... You're, you're sitting on a literal like prize money play. <laughs> really? Uh, God uh, damn it. No, pan- it's not, it's not saga. No, it's I think it's why. Saga goes oh. for eighteen hundred dollars, by the way. Uh, that would pay my rent for a month and a half. It's um. all- <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to I mean because it the Saturn is such a bizarre I have one and it it always like looks at me weird. Like yeah. because the Saturn was such a bomb in America. Like well it came with it came with bug. You remember bug? Uh, no but i i it the name is coming to me just because like this fucking stupid platformer dude that was like 3d but you were you were on these tracks so it wasn't like it wasn't like open world or anything like that it was just like and you know you would fart on people (laughs) and i i played that game so much and then i played uh nights into dreams and uh nights is cool I, yeah i have a i have the christmas nights game oh yeah I've, i saw i remember the ads for that um and then i had like shining the holy ark which i i did not understand at all uh i still have that one too but i looked that one up that one's like a couple hundred bucks so yeah. maybe one day if i want to sell my shit i'll do that the, but the saturn is such a 
the Saturn is an amazing failure. I, I, mm-hmm. I I'm always amazed by it because I, I maybe I can talk about it when we talk about like PlayStation or metal, like Metal Gear more. It's just the Saturn is such a bizarre little system. Like it it it, it was the epitome of it. It came out and it existed. Like mm-hmm. yeah, it, it sure did. <laughs> Dreamcast is pretty tight though. But the, so I finally got a PlayStation because of Metal Gear because Metal Gear is coming out and the the swell of anticipation for uh for metal gear was huge i had that disc and i think i got it in like opm like the playstation magazine i think that's where i got it i know they did like a pizza hut thing mm-hmm. so i can't remember where i got the disc but i had the disc and i played that uh the japanese opener probably a hundred times and once the game finally came out, we were still in Germany, but they, they got it at the PX and I had my mom go buy it for me, <laughs> like, like a 12 year old, I was 12 by this point, probably. And I remember playing it and I remember I played with my little brother. He was uh, probably eight at the time. And I remember getting to the psycho mantis fight and putting the controller on the ground and, you know, it moving. And he just fucking ran out of the room. He was like, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but I'm getting ahead of myself because now we're getting into the actual game. So, Sam, I want to know, like, what what's your deal with games? Just since you were a kid, what's what's going on here? So, my earliest memory of gaming is I had a PS One, and I I'm pretty sure it was my brother's. So we had like a we had like a TV, and I just remember the PS One just being there. And this was like man this is like two, 2001 2002 it was like six or seven and the first game that i remember obsessing over and it was with my best friend growing up down the street uh it was two it was twisted metal three and twisted metal two were the oh, yeah. and you know and we we were we would literally go to each other's houses to play twisted metal uh all day we would we would barely go outside sometimes like we would just do the campaigns together co-op he would always pick minion because minion was the best character in the game uh mm-hmm. and i would pick specter because i was stupid and like viper the you know classic cars whatever but mm-hmm. and, and we were we got so into it too like we were we knew how to use computers kind of so we went on like cheat websites to get like infinite ammo and you know, unlock the secret characters. And I remember, <laughs> I remember specifically in Twisted Metal 3, we figured out the cheat code to make one of the characters. Because like when you select a character, you would get like the character description screen. It would be like a, a headshot of the character and they would talk. And there was mm-hmm. a character called Flower Power. And she was just like, you know, uh, you know, this blonde girl in like a latex, you know, two piece. And, you know, uh, there's a cheat code that would turn her headshot into literally a panty shot. And when we figured that out, we were like, oh my God, this is the greatest game ever made. And then one of my brothers saw us do that. And he's like, I saw what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Like, don't, but, don't be a narc, bro. <laughs> but that was like the first gaming memory. And then like, I remember my brother's, like a ps2 just like appeared uh like a few years later i was like oh cool another video game system and like i remember i think the ps2 was 
I would say like where I started to get like obsessed kind of like I remember putting in hours upon hours into like Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 and Burnout the Burnout games and getting into like the NCAA football games and all this stuff. Uh, oh, that reminds me. You, you want to know what the saddest thing about my PlayStation uh, 1 days is that I had a copy of Metal Gear Solid 1 and never played it when I was a kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. Holy I, shit. Yeah. But, and the thing is, is I saw it there like on like the little cabinet and I didn't want to play it because it was M rated and I didn't want my mom to yell at me. Yeah, no, I, I feel that dude. I, I was in the same place. I one time felt so much guilt for playing Mortal Kombat 2 on SNES at my buddy Steve's house that I came home and I like, I told my mom, like hanging my head. I was like, I, I played it. And like, I didn't know what I expected to happen. But she Sorry. was just like, she was just like, oh, okay. I was like, wait, what? Mom, thought, I'm, <laughs> Mom, I'm sorry. I used Sub Zero's fatality. I didn't mean to. Yeah, I didn't, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I, looked at, I looked at animated blood. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, sorry, but getting back to the point was like, I would say I re like the period of time where I I there was always there's the term hardcore gamer. It was when I was like a teenager. And I found Newgrounds and I found GameTrailers.com. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting on GameTrailers.com and like they had all the E3 press coverage. And I was like, what the heck is E3? And then you see all these like brand new games. And this was like right when the 360 and the PS3 were really getting into their like their life cycles. And I remember actually specifically how there was all this press hype for Metal Gear Solid 4. I was like, what the heck is metal gear like you know what is the series why does everyone care why is solid snake the greatest character ever and all this stuff so i try to like research as i go but i didn't really play the series until the hd collection came out with uh two yeah the, i played it i'm pretty sure the order i played it was two three one four it was two three one four or two three four one i didn't play it in order because i didn't know better but mm-hmm. I didn't that didn't negate the impact, you know, that it had for me. But the PS3 era was really where like every year I would turn in tune into E3 to like see what the next big game that's coming to, you know, these consoles or paying attention to like, you know, reviews or, you know, going on YouTube to like find uh, all these games, like finding out about Resident Evil 4 and like. Resident Evil 4 is the greatest game ever or um, I remember like I remember all like the hype for like Infamous on PS3 or the Uncharted games on PS3 but like that that's where my gaming obsession kind of like blossomed I guess was that era and that's I guess the backstory of it all. Since we're in this era to follow up on a little plot line of the grandma that I condemned on one of the past episodes. <laughs> uh, she had asked what I wanted for my birthday one year. And I was like, I want the Xbox 360. And she was like, all right, bet. And then my mom was like, you know, you got to buy that for him now. Right. And she was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like, she was like, you know, it's like $600. Right. <laughs> and so she goes, what the fuck? And put it on layaway until my birthday and uh so that, that's the best thing i got ever got out of her <laughs> um, i like that you got the xbox and you're still like fuck you that's, <laughs> that's awesome 
No, I like that there's I like that there's recurring villain characters on the show. That's great. It feels like with games there are these micro generations. So I got the PS2 when it came out and I was still like full on in gamer mode. I was probably like 14 or 15 or something. And one of the first games I bought was Twisted Metal Black. I think that was that might have been the, the first game that I owned on the PS2. And then I played uh I played like Silent Hill 2. I played Metal Gear 2 when it came out. I was one of the people who like I had no idea what a Raiden was. And <laughs> like when the game switched over, I was like, okay, this is like a fun detour. This is great. And then you you slowly start to realize that you're just gonna be riding for the entire game. And I was like, I put it down, I was like, that was the fucking dumbest fucking shit ever i've revised my opinion <laughs> since then but uh then this? i got uh i got a red ring of death on my ps2 after about a year and uh... i just like was getting to the to the age where i was about to you know get a car and i was playing guitar with my friends and interested in girls so i stopped being a gamer for pretty much until now. Like I didn't start playing games again until a couple years ago. My, uh, well, actually I shouldn't say who gave me their, their Xbox one because of the way the story goes, but he had just gotten a girlfriend and he was like, do you want my Xbox? And I was like, what do you mean? Like for free? He's like, yeah. But, okay. He's like, yeah, there's like a ton of porn on it. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, I mean, that's fine. I haven't found anything. So I, I played that. And the first game that I went to go buy was uh, Sekiro. And then, so that was pretty much, I picked it back up a few years uh, before. But the micro generations are so interesting because, you know, you guys seem like you might be a little bit younger than me, but, you know, it's this whole different thing, right? Where like PS3 was like, I never had a PS3 right? That just PS3 and PS4 missed me completely. So I went from a PS2 to a five and it's just kind of, I don't know, I guess that's just interesting to me. Time, I've been thinking a lot about time and death lately, not because I'm going to die, but just because I'm, my hairline is receding a little bit and it's really bothering me. So I'm just thinking about age and shit like that. You're know. thinking about how Salt Snake, uh, prematurely age and be like is this me is this, this is me? exactly yeah, is this me? Dude, do i have solid snake, yeah solid solid snake had a child at 35 <laughs> that's that's what happens you become uh, you know become old but um okay cool so we can get into the into the game now and we can kind of like i figure we talk about the games however we want if we want to bring up other games that's fine i'm fine with us mm-hmm. doing another episode somewhere down the line about the other <coughs> games but we'll start with metal gear solid mm-hmm. numero uno or i guess number three technically yeah uh, it's, it's technically the third one but nobody yeah. played the first two <laughs> nobody played the first two. i never played well, the first two uh, i correct myself japanese people played the first two because that's right. Because it was put on the MSX2, which was a computer that nobody in America owned. But in Japan, it was really popular. But Solid 1 is where everyone like assumes is like the beginning. But yeah, it, mm-hmm. it technically, Solid is in a way kind of a remake of the second Metal Gear, Metal Gear for the MSX. Uh, mm-hmm. It hits a lot of similar things. But it, it makes sense because Metal Gear 
was being put on the PlayStation, which at the time was the biggest console in the market. And Konami and Kojima, you know, they wanted to, or more so Kojima wanted to make a new Metal Gear at the time. And, you know, I don't think he would want to make like a third game in the series that throws players in completely like not knowing what they're doing. There's enough like backstory that they cover in the game that, you know, I think satisfies people. And I think if you were, if you were a Japanese player, I think you probably would have been happy be like, Oh, they cover, you know, gray Fox, you know, how his story happened at the end of, the second game or that sort of thing I, it's crazy to think that they wanted to put metal gear solid on the 3do if you know what a 3do is i don't actually what is a 3do it, it's a failed console by panasonic in the 90s by the guy who founded ea trip hawkins and it launched and this is 19 like 94 93 dollars it launched for 700 dollars back then god damn big status and so, but like, that's actually where the first Need for Speed game actually got released was on the 3DO. Mm-hmm. Um, but point being is like Kojima, they wanted to put Metal Gear Solid on that. And to think, to imagine what Metal Gear, Sol- Metal Gear, what would have happened if they put that game on the 3DO, like makes me, it's like a nightmare. Be like, oh God, like the series would have been dead if that happened. Yeah. yeah. But thankfully mm-hmm. they said, the 3do is not powerful enough to do the vision we want so i'm glad it, it i'm glad that metal gear is known as like the playstation franchise yeah and it's um i'm trying to think of even where to start with it so you are a kind of a secret agent science experiment who is tasked with stopping terrorists from getting their hands on these things called metal gears which are nuclear equipped walking battle tanks that's how they put it in the game and Mm -hmm. that's the basic setup i think of well it's not the setup of three but that's pretty much the standard setup it's like people want the metal gear because if you have a you know these big badass dinosaur looking tanks that can shoot nukes you can pretty much have forever wars and you know just constantly keep the the cycle of money and weapons moving through the the world economy so you go to alaska in metal gear solid and because there's a you know there's a group of terrorists who have taken over some kind of base and then you get to this uh kind of iconic opener where you you swim underneath and i was you know so I was watching a playthrough of it. I played it probably 12 or 15 times, but I was watching a playthrough to refresh my memory. And now that I'm older, it does strike me as kind of hilarious that the way that Solid Snake initially gets there is by riding an elevator up, an enormous <laughs> loud elevator. <that> like, <laughs> like you sneak in, like you, you have to sneak around all of these shipping containers and, you know, you kind of get a feel for the controls. You can sneak up behind guys and choke them and sometimes break their necks if you do it enough. And so you get you get all that. But then, like, the way you do is you wait for a guard to have their back turned and you run up the elevator and it goes, burr, burr, burr. <laughs> and then you get to the top and you're like, all right, 
that, undetected that class <laughs> that classic very first elevator ride where when it switches to first person and you're inside and you can see the guard walking past outside just like la da whatever i don't know anything <laughs> that's going on you're just like yeah i made it <laughs> and you uh, just have a pack of cigarettes and you have to find rations and c4 and guns and you, ammo that you smuggled in your stomach yeah <laughs> but that whole opening codec call because that that's how this game delivers a lot of information is through codec calls which are basically like these like still animated comic like it's just the character's profile picture and that's and that whole opening codec i love that codec so much just because it sets up every one of your part your squad mates you have you know colonel campbell you have uh, Mei Ling, who I I I love Mei Ling in the first game. She's she's so really comically like stereotypical, where she has like the thickest Chinese accent, mm-hmm. and she's just like speaking in nonsensical quotes from Shakespeare. And <laughs> and her her entire point is, Snake, would you like to save your game? That's all mm-hmm. she. But she like prefaces it by saying, Snake, if you yeah. <laughs> there's like a funny post that i wish i could call back from because it, it makes me laugh every time but like you have mei ling who's like adorably like silly and then you have naomi uh the sci- the genetic scientist who i would say right off the bat i don't think i trusted even when i first played it i was like naomi's kind of suspicious like right then you have uh master miller who's supposed to be like your closest confidant in the entire game and I guess we'll we'll get into it later, but the whole thing with Master Miller is it's both sad, but it's also like a, a great a great way to like trick the player. Yeah. Um yeah, it worked uh, on me. I remember being like, what the fuck? No yeah, way. And, but like that whole uh that whole opening where they they lay out sort of the rules of the game, like okay, here enemies can notice pat like you walking in the snow. Like you'll leave footprints behind and the, the soldiers will actually follow the footprints, which by the way, that one soldier who follows the footprints, he's the only one in the game that does that. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but he's the only one that follows your snow, like you in the snow, but like even in that prologue uh, room by where you swim into, like the game is just saying like, Hey, the enemies will notice you like leaving wet footprints uh, uh, introduces the soliton radar saying like hey this is how the enemies see perceive like their here's their cone of vision uh, if they see you you'll go into an alert phase where you have to you know try to either face head on or try to run away uh, but really the game encourages you a to not get found but also not really to engage directly uh it, especially in those early segments because your health bar like you'll die from like three shots or something from an enemy it mm-hmm. and that the outside of shadow moses is great too with the the searchlights that hold uh, the chaff grenades mm-hmm. uh like mm-hmm. that that whole like opening open area is such like a great way to introduce the player n- not only to the world but just how like the game works like because it's a weird game because it's presented over top it's top down not like a it's not like a uh, like a modern action game where 
the cameras behind you it's above you so it, it it's a nice little playground i guess is what i'm trying to get at yeah i love the look of this game it, and i do love like the evolution of it um you know three and four i, I love all of them that i've played i've played one through five uh i didn't play any of the like spinoffs or obviously the original metal gear but that top-down view well and it switches right like you've got the top-down view and then every once in a while you've got opportunities to go first person mm-hmm. and it's and there's times where it's fixed behind you if you're crawling through a vent shaft or something it creates this like kind of uh tension because for one you're supposed to be sneaking around and not getting caught but you also can't always see what's coming next for you like what you're about to get into and a lot of times like when you're shooting like when you do engage you can't even see what you're shooting at (laughs) so (laughs) it's this constant like anxiety of like uh brought on by this sort of um claustrophobic fixed camera that just hovers down like uh like security camera style Mm -hmm. i i love every game and i love every look of it like each game almost has like its own unique look to it like you could look at one and shadow moses as it's such like a you you can like feel how cold it is there wherever you are in the game Mm -hmm. like you see in that that's like a little charm and i think even like kojima said this when making the game it's like you have to present like a believable world for for players to like want to keep being invested in if the illusion breaks then like they're not going to care so like when you see snake's breath in the cold like on these on a ps1 which is you know not technically an advanced system you know it the graphics always look like they're not always working sometimes like the wobbles and the pixelated backgrounds but they make it work where you know snake's breath is there or uh there's like when you're in the when you're using the sniper rifle snake has to manage his like heart rate with uh the medicine or the like the drug in the game like Mm -hmm. or like guards hearing footsteps like there's it's you said this before david like the in your book how the less information there is it it, you know like compared to a game now where it's like 4k Mm -hmm. graphics Mm -hmm. with you know the most hyper realistic faces ever made it's like i can look at solid snakes pixelated expressionless face and i i'm sold on it yeah, no, and I one one thing along those same lines that I was noticing when I think of Metal Gear Solid, the first one, I the the motion blur is huge, oh, yeah. right? So when I was re-watching a walkthrough, I had never really thought about it as a kid, but the whole game is full of these blurs. Like every time there's a cutscene the camera is always moving and it's this blur motion. Like obviously gray Fox has a lot of blur on him, but, but kind of everything does. And even when you're playing it with these uh, sort of primitive PS one graphics, I think the blur 
in the same way that old movies have uh, this this feeling of dreamlike uh, a dreamlike quality to them. I think Metal Gear has that too, and that's why it always, whenever I revisit it, it brings me back so intensely to when I was twelve years old because it really whether it's resident evil 2 or silent hill 2 right silent hill classically like the fog was a workaround for for graphical limitations on the ps1 Mm -hmm. but all of these um you know all these little cheats that they have to do somehow actually add up to something that's greater than the sum of its parts right and and now that you can do anything. I mean, it's the same thing with movies, right? I mean, everybody agrees that puppets look better than CGI, but we just mm. use CGI because it's easy and, you know, you can pay a monkey to do it. And most people are also monkeys, so they're okay with it, right? Um, but Metal Gear, I don't know. Yeah, just when I was watching that camera move and uh, it was it was this really intense, nostalgic experience, right? Because I I found that I knew a lot of the dialogue by heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was like, you know, the whole conversation with the DARPA chief and Kenneth Baker and Gray Fox and, you know, snakes don't belong in Alaska. I used to yeah. just like walk around like a fucking weirdo, just being like in school, I'd be like, snakes don't belong in Alaska. Um, but but it's you know it's 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 weird and it makes me wonder now if there's any real way to get back to that right like the amount of creativity you need when your tool set is limited fundamentally is not going to be there when you have that fucking tool set and i'm definitely like i'm not in any way saying that games are shit now because i've been replaying bloodborne and i played elden like they're all amazing right Mm -hmm. But there's something about those games that's very unique and un- unrepeatable. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't understand about Metal Gear, especially for 1998. It's like uh, Kojima is known for his style, his like cinematic style. I mean, it's well known that he is a movie buff. I mean, his Twitter bio says, my, my body is 70% movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, his, he, it's clear even back then that he had a clear understanding about how to, how, not only how to tell a story in a captivating way, but how to present it in a very cinematic way. Like, like you said, there's all the cuts with the motion blur to like, you know, to sort of add the gravitas to it all. But like there, like when Gray Fox uh, or Psycho Mantis appear in the game, there's like I, I can't, I can never describe the sound effect that they use, but it's that like, it's that like high pitch like buzzing sound, like whenever mm-hmm. like uh, something kind of intense is gonna happen, and it feels like it's like uh, compensating for something that they don't have, but it works really well like you'll see a scene like uh for example when you defeat revolver ocelot which uh i i love i love you were saying i was like yesterday like the boss names for this game are just so great revolver ocelot vulcan raven 
sniper wolf decoy octopus and liquid snake like there's such great boss names but that cutscene when you beat revolver and you know gray fox comes in and there's the you know the scene where you're trying to talk with baker about like you know to get the you know the the workaround to stop metal gear and they intercut all these like real life footage of like military you know technology being built and to most people you know they might think like what's the why should i care it's like they weave together or, you know kojima weaves together this this really interesting espionage story but i think just the fact that he was able to convey all of this so at such a high level and in, in 1998 i think can never can never go un, uh, unappreciated. Like you have to realize how little the industry didn't know about how to like tell a story. I mean, look at Resident Evil One. Look how much like it failed tremendously to tell like a captivating story. Like they hired literal like random people on the street in Japan saying, Hey, yeah. want to, want to be in a video game. And yeah. you can tell they, they resident evil works, but like, there's no way in hell anybody would treat the scenario of resident evil as any more than like camp galore. Yeah. But you know, literally like two, two, three years later, you have someone like Kojima who's getting, legitimate voice actors like david Hayter uh to portray these characters or uh i forget her full name but it's like may west something for meryl but you have like these legitimate actors and they're getting legitimate direction they're get and you know when you know these people who have no idea what's gonna what this product's gonna be when you're recording a voice line it's like you're just told you're supposed to act like sad or whatever in this scene but like the way Kojima is able to like present it with characters where the only way you know that they're talking is like they're bobbing their head up and down. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like I can never, I'm always amazed by like, I played the game re- recently for the first time in a long time in January. And I, I just was captivated from moment, you know, from the first second to the end. I mean, you it's such a great i'm just like ranting now it's just like i i i really love how how something so limited is able to captivate you from the moment it starts Mm -hmm. with like you know uh the the, these blocky ass characters like yeah yeah and but it's also it's it's worth saying too that it's, well, it's interesting, you know, f- from somebody who got into games around the PS3 era, right? Um, mm-hmm. How going back these graphics, and I mean, and I, I, I'm with you 100% because I was, when I was watching the playthrough, I was like, I didn't remember the graphics being this, uh, well, this PS1, right? Like mm-hmm. when I first saw this game, I had it in my head as, you know, these were the best graphics of all time. And they were right at the time, but I don't know. It's, it's just something weird when you don't have anything else to compare it to. 
it's it's so singular you know what i mean like it's it looks mm-hmm. so good. ahead of its ahead of its time yeah it looks it looks so ahead of its time and you know i i think that the storytelling aspect is probably what we should talk about next because um there are things that kojima gets shit for that have been on display <laughs> since metal gear one and oh, yeah. <laughs> on all the way up through death stranding um so we'll talk about that like i i personally i tried to articulate this i forget if i left it in the book about death stranding or not it might have been something that i cut i was trying to articulate um how it's actually a good thing that kojima's uh, cutscenes are long and kind of boring um but if i didn't write that and you know most people listen to this uh, might not know what I'm talking about. So I actually think that it is, uh, it's one of those things where you, you pay the cost of admission, right? So that's the way that Kojima tells stories, number one. And he's obviously never going to change. He hasn't changed in 25 years. And nope. he's, not, he's not going to change for his next game or anything like that. He's going to, but you know, the, I think the balls that it takes to sit down and slowly unravel uh, with characters like literally just talking about because uh, snake needs clarification on everything in this game right <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> one of the funny beats like without fail in every codec call or uh, cutscene, they're gonna say something like you know uh, high propelled rocket device he's gonna say high propelled rocket device like a <laughs> like question and then they'll but I don't know. I think that it's a real, um, in the same way of, you know, how David Lynch uh, will have very slow moments or Nicholas Winding Refn notoriously will have, you know, characters give five second beats before they answer each other. It's doing something, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, you have to, it's almost lulling you. People don't realize this because we're so uh, overstimulated but there's uh, something that happens when you read or when you watch these very patient movies um, where you're kind of, you enter into a temporal uh, uh, hypnotizing vortex with these things. And even though the dialogue, I'm not going to sit here and defend every line of dialogue in Metal Gear or Death Stranding or anything like that, because some of it is bad. (laughs) <laughs> but it's just it's it, that in itself is doing something like you're while that's going on you're looking around you know you're listening to their voices or if it's a cut scene you're you're looking at the scenery and in a sense those scenes are pulling double duty where they're not just conveying information or acting as dramatic flourish it's allowing you to sink in yeah it's amazing kojima he's arguably the one one of if not the only i guess you could say auteur game maker where mm-hmm. he warrants having his name put on every game every game of his has a hideo kojima game but it's like people don't they want him to bend to their will it's a, it's it's like no he's going to tell he's going to explain something for you for five minutes because mm-hmm. he finds that interesting like and I find it doubly annoying as a recent because Death Stranding was like this moment 
for gamers, and I, I use gamers as a as a negative in this case. Uh, like when Death Stranding came out, like before Death Stranding, uh, like people were like revering Kojima as like, oh, he's you know he's an amazing game creator, he's an amazing director, writer, what have you. But like when Death Stranding, it's like people are like, oh, what was he doing? He doesn't know what he's doing. He's a hack. He's a fraud. He everything he's ever done is like uh he's had other people make better stuff like there's this really retarded talking point there's there's this guy who worked on metal gear i forget his first name but his last name is fukushima and he uh, people who hate kojima love to say fukushima is the one was the genius behind metal gear solid one two and three because uh, this guy was like a uh, he basically kind of in one he did the cleanup of the script in two he did the optional codex and I think he did the same in three but like because like Metal Gear Solid 4 like killed their parents everybody hates Metal Gear Solid 4 which is I swear is a normal thing with Kojima games like everybody hates it for 10 years and then like they suddenly get the new patch patch update and be like oh this game is actually amazing all along we were just <laughs> like yeah i metal gear solid 2 like was not appreciated for like 10 no, years no, i was like, one of them i was one of them i was like what the fuck is this bullshit but you know but I've like been wrong a few times in my life but but you know what i'm saying is like kojima will never shift his writing style he will never change and but it works somehow like at the core of his works throughout his life, like you can look at something like the Metal Gear series or Death Stranding. Uh, he, you, you know where he's coming from. And for me, Kojima has always been a very, he's one of the most like in touch with humanity in a way. Like, yeah. Uh, if you've played Metal Gear or Death Stranding, you understand that he has a very he's been affected by death a lot and and also about being uh tied to a predetermined fate which is one of the main themes of metal gear solid one mostly is being your genes you know your genes determine your future like everyone in metal gear solid one thinks that genes hold the answer to their life liquid snake the main enemy he thinks he's the because Solid Snake and Liquid are genetic clones of Big Boss, who is the the greatest soldier of the 20th century. And uh, Solid and Liquid Snake were created to sort of uh, to have like as a backup play. It's it's this is something with you know Metal Gears. You learn about the deep government conspiracies, but what have you? It's like. Liquid perceives that he was created with the recessive genes. Therefore, he thinks he's the inferior one. And he thinks that he has to prove himself in order to be that he like has a purpose to create outer heaven in Shadow Moses. Or you have Otacon, who he thinks his you know, he's doomed to repeat the sort of horrors of his family, his grandfather worked on the atomic bomb and his dad was born on when the bombs were dropped. And so he thinks he's basically tied to nuclear weapons for the rest of his life. And his sort of lineage will bring upon like, you know, death and, you know, destruction. Uh, 
or, you know, you have Naomi who thinks she's, you know, she wants to figure out what her genes are going to lead for her life, you know, cause she doesn't know who she is and she studied genes her entire life. And if, if it's clear that this comes from Kojima's own life where he thought at one point when his father passed away, when he was like 13, he thought he had to be the traditional Japanese salary man who, you know, to support his mom and his, and his uh, family. But his mom told him, no, you go and be a creative person. You, you go to make movies, you know, write stories, all this stuff. And if you know that about him, it makes complete sense about the entire, his entire work. He's always trying to write about what it means to be alive and trying to do better for yourself or go be, it's, it's like, a, it's an extremely life affirming stories that he tells. Like, you know, he'll, he'll delve into like darker themes or he'll have moments in the series where he subjects his characters to arguably extreme, you know, torturous scenarios. I mean, you know, and one of the recurring themes of the series is that uh, your playable character will be tortured at some point mm-hmm. or like, uh, you know, Solid Snake. Uh, yeah, one of the things they constantly bring up in this game is like, you love war, don't you, Snake? You love battle. You love killing people. You know, Liquid says in the end, like, I saw your face while you killed everyone and you looked happy or whatever. Like, I, but the whole point of Metal Gear is like for Snake, but also as the player to say, you don't have, you, you're not predestined to a fate. You're, you actually have the keys to the car. It's what you do of it. Like, the the ending line of the game where Naomi it's one of the best scenes I think in the entire series is when you know Naomi says what you know uh what is what matters is is we choose uh to do with our uh I forget the exact line uh you mustn't allow yourself to be chained to fate to be ruled by your genes human beings can choose the kind of life that they want to live What's most important is that you choose life and li- and then live. Like uh, Kojima is such. Uh, once you understand that he's he he encompasses like every aspect of life, like what it means to be a human, and just you know, it, it's not even just what the the genes or your fate or your uh life and death like he'll just go on a tangent and like he'll focus on Meryl's ass as a part, <laughs> an important part of the plot line yeah like one of the most one of the one of the things in the game is hey did you notice how I focused on the on Meryl's butt wiggling in this scene it comes up later in the game I hope you're gonna look at her at uh this ass for a while it's like <laughs> And Solid Snakes, it's like the greatest line in the series. It's like, oh yeah, it's like, yeah, you got a great butt. It's like (laughs) only only somebody like Kojima would do this where he has this bizarre body curiosity where he finds like asses, he finds asses amazing. He finds pissing really funny. He he thinks crotch grabbing is hilarious. Like 
diarrhea. There's a you, lot of explosive yeah, diarrhea. Yeah, John, Johnny Sasaki or uh, yeah. Johnny Johnny Poop. In part four, uh, yeah. the guy, yeah, yeah, who, the guy who, has explosive diarrhea in I, a barrel that you I, can use. It's like, uh, oh my God. John, I, I hate Johnny because he prevented Meryl and Snake being together, but I guess that's what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But, 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 you know, like you go where Kojima wants to go. Like you pay the $60 and you get taken on the roller coaster ride with Hideo and it will go from government espionage to government conspiracy to military simulation to crotch grabbing to tender death scene to torture scene back to Otacon pissing himself to uh, him Otacon talking about how anime made him want to make Metal Gear to Grace Gray Fox banging his head on the floor telling you to hurt him mm-hmm. to uh, back to back to sneaking around then to an action set piece with a with a helicopter on top of a communication tower back to tra- traumatic death you know you go you you ride the hideo ride and i i've every game of his i can't help but be amazed by what this guy does because no other game creator would do things that he does like to to have like you know for example in Metal Gear Solid 2 you you get completely tricked into playing as Raiden who is the antithesis of Solid Snake being this whiny pretty boy who gets berated by his girlfriend and uh is a complete dork but it it works in the grand story of that game or Metal Gear Solid 3 where it's basically a James Bond movie and you get taken around as big boss as he like nerds out about guns and then Ava shows her boobs trying to get to seduce him like Hideo's writing style will never change and he'll he's the only guy who will touch on things or do create games like Again, it's a Hideo Kojima game. It's on the box. What did you expect? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's this perfect blend of like high and low art. Like they're deeply philosophical. And like you said, he's a very, he's a, he's a humanist. Like, you know, he's all about what it means to be alive and these deep questions about our fate. And I think that and how his genuine love for what he's doing are like the secret ingredients to making this tongue-in-cheek meta like humorous borderline satire narrative Mm -hmm. um to make it something more than the sum of its parts whereas like it's it could almost be something along the lines of like Deadpool but it is so many levels above that because of that like genuine fascination childlike imagination and this like uncynical uh reflective love of humanity you know uh message at the core of it yeah 
and he could he could go into a very nihilistic and and dark place with these games. I mean, it's about war at the core of it. The game, the entire series is about you know the horrors of war and what it does to people. You know, the boss characters in every game have like some sort of baggage that they come they they have from war. I mean, in this in Metal Gear Solid One's case, you have uh, Sniper Wolf who was just raised in constant warfare and that's all she knows uh, but you know her death is treated with the most honest sincerity and it, it it's such an amazing scene and you you add on to the fact that like he makes Otacon in that scene like experience the hardships of war for himself you know not just being a scientist and has been the maker of metal gear you know he gets to see firsthand what war does to people and if if this was handled in like let's say a western game developer's hand they would go down a more nihilistic and more uh dark interpretation of this where they would not come out of that uh viewpoint like one example I can think of is like Spec Ops The Line, uh, which was a, a, a war game. Uh, it was like a game set in the Middle East where the whole point of the game is like telling you you're a crazed psychopath. You didn't were you br- uh, brutally murdered all these people because you enjoy it. And, you know, it's very cynical and all that. But like Kojima he chooses to find the light in the darkness and, you know, every game, even in cases like Metal Gear Solid three, where it ends on such a fucking gut punch of an ending with, you know, uh, with uh, the, the truth being revealed. He always, there's always some sort of light at the end of the tunnel, like, and, you know, MGS one, like you see how snake slowly grows from being this dejected and cynical person who thinks that the world is not, you know, the world is full of just, you know, evil people. And I'm one of them. I'm a killer. And, you know, it seems to follow me wherever I go, but by the end of it, he's, he has a new outlook on life. And, I think that's something that that doesn't get appreciated with Kojima is that he he always comes out and and it obviously comes from his past where you know he he's experienced death on many levels where his dad his dad died he almost died 3 times he said like he said, he almost got run over by a train. He almost drowned. And you can sense in everything he touches that it's not about succumbing to the darkness in the world, the evils of war, or the hardships of your family's past. It's about, you know, transcending everything and making the best life of yourself yeah yeah and 
Man, I'm trying to think <laughs> where to go from. No, it's really up. it's it's like it's there's... really big, and I I I think that Death Stranding uh, is a good example of this too. I I like the fact that people like Kojima are working on these kind of uh, grand scales. There are a few things that you said that I wanted to to loop around and touch touch on. The first one being when you are uh, kind of describing the experience of playing a Kojima game. I couldn't help but think of that's like watching a Takashi Miike movie, right? Mm -hmm. Where we talk about it in terms of uh, tonal shifts. And I think that one of the, the interesting things about Japanese entertainment in general, how it differs from Western entertainment is that willingness to vibe shift extremely quickly without any warning but to somehow still have it all work, mostly because it's done sincerely. It's not done as a, uh, it's, if something's done because he thinks that it's funny, uh, it's genuinely thought of as being funny, right? It's not yeah. like, uh, I don't know, Westerners are so, I'm on a real anti-sarcasm kick lately. Mm-hmm. I think sarcasm fucks a lot of shit up. And I don't know if Japanese people, have sarcasm in the same way that we do, or if they have sarcasm at all, I'm not very knowledgeable, but I know we have it here. And I think that it really, it, it forces you into a kind of lane where if you're going to be uh, sincere, you almost don't want to be funny along with being sincere because humor is so tied to negation, negation of the thing that you're actually talking about. And in the Metal Gear games, none of that I mean, some of the stuff comes off as cynical, right? Because it is, but mm-hmm. it's not cynical in the sense of like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, when he's showing you a man's ass, right? A man, <laughs> a naked man with a mosaic uh, pixelated ass, he's doing that because he genuinely thinks that it's funny or arousing, right? Or, mm-hmm. or both, you know? Um, yeah. Which brings to the second point, it's uh, the horniness of this game is on point. Oh, yeah. you know, right off rip, right off rip. Solid Snake is like, I never expected you to be so cute. And that's something I miss horniness. I miss male masculine uh, horniness and stuff because, you oh. know, of course, we've had a we've had a complete, um, you know, uh, nuking of it all that's the word thank you yeah a nuking of all of that so like and in this game sex was launched (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah dude uh (laughs) but um basically back to to solid snakes abs yeah his (laughs) rib yeah yeah no it's but it's just like you know it's so innocent right i mean all of that seems to me to be like it's it's entirely harmless and cute and fun um in death stranding you know you make uh norman Reedus takes a lot of showers and you (laughs) make weapons out of his piss and shit and blood like that's how you that's how you fight like your grenades are made out of shit but um (laughs) so like that scatological humor and the sex jokes and looking at meryl's butt you know again it's like it's done in this way where I don't know, you just, you just kind of rock with it. Right. And I'm totally uh, for uh, scatology and, and sex stuff, even if it's not innocent, right. If it's nasty and gross, like it tends to be in Mike films, I'm cool with that too, because it's, it's this full expression of what a creator wants to put out there. And 
every time we find Kelby had a great post about who the, you know, agitator lore gods are. And, you know, it's Miyazaki and Kojima and Mike and Sukumoto, all these guys. Right. But like the thread that kind of connects them is this spirit of, um, whether it's grandiose or on a smaller scale of, you know, we're going to just do whatever we feel like, you know? And it's important to note too, that that freedom and that willingness to experiment is also grounded in massive talent and the, the knowledge of how to properly tell the story, right? Because, you know, you can't just go out there and there are bad ways of doing this, but mm-hmm. Kojima intuitively understands how stories. I, did you read the creative gene? No, I have it. I've, I've read like a little bit of it. I keep meaning to, I'm such a bad, I'm, I'm a legit awful reader where like, I, I swear like social media and the internet destroyed my ability to read yeah, like a right. book, but I, I, I want to read it because it does, it goes into detail about his creative inspirations Mm -hmm. which um are all extremely basic yeah i I thought it was really charming the stuff that he was talking about right because he he loves uh you know jaws and indiana like all these there's nothing really super interesting in his tastes in music or books or film he's voracious that's what's unique about it is that he ingests all of this but he very specifically ingests a lot of pop culture stuff and i think that that is a key element to his success as a game designer too because you know you can be a fucking weirdo it's kind of like you know how some people make their autism work for them and other people (laughs) are just like weird and nobody wants to be around them like he, he makes it work because he has this solid backing of what, you know, what people want to see. So it's, and knowing that he can then subvert it. But that, I mean, that's what's so crazy about this game, you know, is it like you, every, every point that you make about it opens up a new cool new. thing. Yeah. If you were to like look at his Twitter, which, you know, you could look at the cool one, which is the Japanese one or the English one. Same, it, it's the same stuff, but you see stuff like where he's tweeting about like how he saw the Lego movie. And you're like, oh, mm-hmm. this, this is the supposed genius of video games. Like, <laughs> like uh, you would think he'd be like on a more cerebral sense, but that's what, that's like the thing I love about him is that he loves things. He loves like you know movies or music or games like he just genuinely loves it because i you know he just has a love for the art of storytelling and you you can tell that like even in a case for example metal gear solid 4 where he didn't want to be a part of it like after the third one he said like i'm gonna step away like i'll let the rest of konami handle it but he got like death threats and all the stuff to come death back. Threats, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> they, yeah. This kind of scared him because they were going to turn it over to Fukushima, right? Like the, uh, the, the they were going to come in. They were going to turn it over, not to him. They were going to, I forget, man, I forget his name. He was one of the co-writers of three. I forget his, it's like Shota Mi, 
Miyaku, or I can't remember his name, but uh, it was going to be over to him. And I even think Shinkawa was going to be directing that, but like fans couldn't take that. And so he came back and uh, uh, I, I like lost my train. <laughs> I lost my train of thought there, but um, you get a sense with anything he like he'll reference like like the most standard thing imagine like in Metal Gear Solid 4 the main enemies are the Beauty and the Beast unit like Mm -hmm. he's referencing a Disney movie like yeah Yeah. uh, (laughs) like the the whole the whole thing the whole inspiration for Metal Gear is the great escape from the 60s yeah or like Metal Gear Solid 3 is inspired by James Bond movies or uh, uh, yeah, like in Metal Gear Solid Five, he clearly liked the movie twenty or the show twenty four because he got Kiefer Sutherland on it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he he has an appreciation for anything, and I've come as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate his worldview more because. I may I'm like assuming something about him. Maybe it's maybe I'm completely wrong about him, but I I think he just finds enjoyment. He finds uh, excitement, or just like it brings him joy to see something, listen to something, talk with somebody. I think it, it comes back to that humanist, loving life kind of person he is, where if he gets the chance to work with Norman Reedus, by God, he is going to work with Norman Reedus and he's going to have, or if Mads Mikkelsen, he's like, I love Mads Mikkelsen. I love every movie he's in. I want him in my game. And I'm going to, you know, and now he's like the biggest Mads Mikkelsen fan club leader you'll ever see on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Like, like I, I've, I feel like if you are maybe younger, you can't appreciate that about him because he, he almost is like in invulnerable to irony poisoning. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, he's got Conan O'Brien and Guillermo del Toro as characters in Death Stranding. (laughs) You know, I mean, you have to genuinely like stuff to make Conan O'Brien one of your characters, which is crazy (laughs) because I didn't even know when Conan O'Brien popped up, I was like, Oh fuck you! Like I liked it. I, I thought it was funny. But he, yeah, he has his best friend Jeff Keeley from the games industry, like as one of the Death Stranding NPCs. It's like mm-hmm. he, he. There's like I, I. It's rare, and especially nowadays, where it seems like everyone is so, like trying to remove aspects of themselves, like. You know, like mm. you were saying about the male horniness thing, like every uh, in the first game, every girl literally wants the bone solid snake. Like, like as Meryl and Snake are fleeing the base as it's exploding, she's like, hmm, looking good, Snake. Mm-hmm. Or Mailing's yeah. like, yeah. I can't I can't believe I'm the legendary solid snake is hit hitting on me. Or even Naomi like is like can't resist this charm, but like uh like I feel like every people nowadays just like want to remove anything that could embarrass themselves. Yes. Be- oh, and yeah, that's he, big. 
he's not afraid to just put himself out there in a way that to some people will come off as like, you know, cringe or whatever, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, like he'll include a th- a three minute ladder segment with the cheesiest song called Snake e- Snake Eater. I fucking love that song. That's yeah, it's, so funny. It, <laughs> like he will put that in there. He will make you listen to the that entire song for the ladder climb. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he thinks it's cool. Like he doesn't care that like this song is the cheesiest thing ever. He's like, this is my this is my James Bond movie and. I am so excited to make this like you he's like the most purest of like person that not only games has, but it feels like in general, like media has to offer and I, you either get him or you don't. And I feel, I feel like death stranding was a very good litmus test for people who don't get him or not. Mm-hmm. Like, it, I feel like there's so many people now who just wanted to write him off as a hack, but it's like Death Stranding is literally what he does for the past 30 years. Like, is this the thing that finally gets you off the the the, uh, the roller coaster? Okay, I'm going to continue uh, looking at Norman Reedus as he blushes like a schoolgirl and then punches the camera like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, a couple of like, so number one, I'm looking at a Death Stranding poster. Uh, so I'm definitely a fan. Well, I wrote a book about it. So I'm a big <laughs> fan of that game. And uh, the other thing that was funny about the Snake Eater song is that it's so iconic in its cheesiness that when my wife asked me what we were talking about on the podcast, and I was like, oh, we're going to talk about Metal Gear. And uh, from the other room, she goes like, snake eater <laughs> like even she she's heard that in the background and she was like that's hilarious that's like the best thing i've ever heard so it's but it's good it's like when you are willing to i don't know show your ass uh figuratively <laughs> speaking uh you know some people fuck with it and i'm one of those people uh, i've always been a, i've always been with the what this man vibes with i always i always like say yes i i will ride along with it i'll ride along as you make your giant gundam mech robots that shoot nukes like roar like lions i'm here for it man (laughs) (laughs) because it's cool and that's like the motivation for a lot of the art direction name choices plot (laughs) devices (laughs) it's it's because he either thought it was cool himself like the idea was cool to him or he's somebody who listens to his crew's ideas and you know down to where he makes them carry notebooks and write down whatever comes to the you know just one idea in anything that comes to you write it down and if it sounds cool he's like yeah we're doing that yeah and that even goes down to the gameplay stuff like i I, in metal gear solid 2 a designer i think told him like i think peeking around corners is a good idea and they put it in like Mm -hmm. he's open to people telling him because you know like when people see like written and directed and produced by hideo kojima they think like he it's a singular vision which i mean it is it's clearly something that comes from his mind but 
he's willing to like take everything into consideration i mean uh like you said kelby the names of these characters can be really funny to listen like you know not only like the bot the the foxhound unit in metal gear solid one but like metal gear solid two like fortune and fat man and uh vamp who is called i was gonna mention vamp yeah that his team his team thought that he was joking when he said he wanted to put a vampire in (laughs) that that famous interview of shinkawa is like at first i thought he was joking but he was being 100 serious that's that's what i'm yeah thank you that's what i was trying to reference yeah like no and he is he's dead serious like no yeah he's gonna he's gonna be a vampire and i and i love the rationale in the world of metal gear it's like oh he bryden's like oh he's he's called vamp because he's a vampire and snakes like no it's because he's bisexual like (laughs) what (laughs) okay (laughs) like we'll go for it then you'll have like in the third game you'll have like the fury the sorrow the joy the 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 pain (laughs) yeah the the pain or uh, like i i i really love the beauty and the beast unit and four it's like i love the names are so awesome sounding it's like screaming mantis laughing octopus raging raging raven or a uh, crying wolf like these are some metal ass names but like they're also kind of like silly when you think about it like mm-hmm. in metal gear solid peace walker there's a guy named hot coldman <laughs> there's oh dude it goes in it goes into that in death stranding too, yeah right <laughs> yeah heart I mean, man die, die hard man yeah die hard man heart uh heart man uh sam porter bridges it's like he's he builds bridges his last name's bridge oh my oh that's really deep he's he's a porter as well (laughs) (laughs) like uh, in peace walker there's a character named dr strangelove and the only reason that she is called strangelove is because she's a lesbian strange love strange love it's like (laughs) metal gear solid five there's code talker or quiet or you know, like it's like you, people, peep, some people be like, that's the dumbest name I've ever heard. But like to me, as somebody who's been invested in this man for ten years, I'd be like, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to hear what Hot Coldman has to say or Die Hard Man has to say. Like yeah. the, it all. I'm always like just ready to hear like the the reason or like just the, what this character is about, like you know people will shit on him for like making quiet because she doesn't talk but you mm-hmm. know people were like why is she like wearing a bikini and like ripped up leggings it's like he's like there's a reason for it you know you have to play the game and it just boils down to if she talks she'll die it's like mm-hmm. it's not that it's not like incredibly deep but you come to love a character like quiet as she bonds with venom snake in that game like it's like it, on paper it kind of comes off as like you know what it comes off as like silly but he has a way of just making he make this character not like interesting captivating but then he also like has just he'll rip your heart out with this mm-hmm. character like sniper wolf uh, like is the i would i would say like the character that epitomizes this the most like in the first game where you know she's you have this intense sniper fight 
in the game with her in the in the op- in the snow and you know you're just like watching as she's bleeding to death and the sounds of wolves crying in the distance as she's just muttering her last breath and all she wants is for you to kill her as she's holding her sniper rifle like it it's a brutal scene like and you have that like really touching like uh I, I'm not like a music guy or anything, but like that MIDI, like PS1 synth sound orchestra song on top of it, it's mm-hmm. extremely effective. Like he, he makes a character, he, he'll turn a character who is kind of like a little one dimensional at first glance, but he makes it the most three dimensional character that you'll experience i mean uh, like i think about fortune and how she just literally wants someone to kill her because bullets don't kill her but you learn the how like she's been played from the start and you just like she wasn't special to begin with but she before she dies she actually proves that she earned the name lady luck fortune like he i'm always amazed that he can always make it work in the end really quick i looked up uh sniper wolf just because as we're talking i'm kind of like looking stuff up and apparently there's a youtuber named sniper wolf but she did this really cutesy thing where the first s is like sniper Wolf. i think that's the way it's supposed to be read but Mm -hmm. what's hilarious to me is that there's two s's before sniper wolf so i read it as ss sniper wolf (laughs) <laughs> I just I wonder if she thought about that. Um, but anyway. A gamer girl trying to prove her street cred. You know, we'll see about yeah. that. God, I'm so tired of this. I'm so tired of it. I'm so, I'm so based. I'm so based. I like Metal Gear like the boys do. Yeah. No. Oh, the I boys. Just, I'm, just, I'm just so sick of. <laughs> you're, you're tired of women? Of women. Of women. Yeah. <laughs> i'm married so like it's i'm just so thankful that i'm married i can't i don't even know what i would do i was talking to a friend about this um i talked to my buddies during the day like other stay-at-home dads uh and and kelby too who's usually actually doing work while i when i call him but i was talking to another one and like we were just talking about like hypotheticals right like what would you do if you were suddenly single again and i was like honestly i would just budget for a hooker like once a month for the rest of my (laughs) life because i never want to talk to another woman ever again i'm just so i'm just so tired of it i think you'd start swinging for the other team i think you think i i think you'd at least experiment because you'd be looking at some dudes yeah i don't know about that Listen, playing five games of Metal Gear Solid and you just see Solid Snake's ass, you begin to wonder, hmm. Yeah, well, what if I- you know, if I was really cold, if we were at Shadow, <laughs> Shadow Moses, and <laughs> be like, look, man, let's let's talk turkey. I'm not attracted to you, but I do want to see it. So what's up? Can we can we make this work? No, no. what you do is you say, hey, have you ever played Metal Gear Solid 2? And then you grab his crotch, you grab his crotch and be like, see? You see what I did there? Haha. Yeah, what if? It's a little joke. It's a little joke. <laughs> this is good. I'm getting a lot of tips for how to seduce men. <laughs> that's real good. That's great. 
No. Yeah. I mean, but that's the, that's the problem, right? Is that I'm, I'm physically disgusted by men and I am mentally and, and personally disgusted by women. So I kind of don't have any place. place kind of like you're, you're kind of like Meryl where she had her urges for oh, yeah. men literally wiped out from her. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I, I just like how she had to mention that the snake in the bathroom. It's like, I don't, I literally don't find men attractive. It's like, okay, he doesn't care. Yeah, he's still going to try. He just, you know, he he wants to comment on your ass, Meryl. Take the compliment. Yeah, I know. Jeez. So the funny. beginning of Metal Gear Solid really strike like it hits hard with how horny Snake is <laughs> through every like there are three codec conversations in a row with completely different women where every single time he's just laying the smack daddy on them like heavy and it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and i i love that like a contrast between you know technically his father big boss who's like literally retarded and doesn't understand like hey eva wants to like wants you to fuck her but like this M1911 is like so cool. I don't care about sex. It's like, I love this contrast <laughs> that like Big Boss is like kind of this autistic retard who doesn't know what sex is, but kind of does. Then Solid Snake like is literally the Mac Daddy schmoozer of the series, but literally can't get with a girl apparently. And like, Liquid is gay, right? Liquid is, <laughs> he's coded as gay. I, I always thought I, that he was gay. I feel like he has to. I mean, he's quite theatrical. Yeah, that's that's why. <laughs> so what we're saying like, is, Liquid is a theater gay. He's a theater gay, the worst <laughs> kind of gay. If there's if there are one, uh, you know, like race of people that I can't stand, it's theater people, right? <laughs> it's just uh, there's just something about them. They pronounce their T's too sharply at the end of words. Like, what's that about? I don't know. They, I don't know. They, they talk stupid their shit's all retarded and if you're a theater kid just stop well punctual period punctual yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) this episode's good because people were you know wondering if you know if i've turned completely to misogyny recently because of the jack episode and i just wanted to you know really hammer that home that yes i (laughs) i cannot stand women so, oh yeah, I I I'll, I want to be totally out there as well. I hate women. This is this is the official women hating episode. <laughs> well, this is the sequel, I guess. The sequel. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, that that's a recurring theme is that Kojima's called a sexist. Be like, uh, well, you know, he really likes uh, asses. He likes boobs. Like, I don't know why that's an issue here. Like, Do you think he fucks. Do you think that Kojima's a sex guy? Well, I mean, he has a son, so I think he's at least oh. done it once. Oh, that, have a son. and that's that's like the funny thing too is that he like his son I think is like in his near his twenties or something. But he asked his son because his son has played the Metal Gear games, and he asked him which ones your which ones your favorite. And his son said Portable Ops, the one Metal Gear Kojima did not direct. <laughs> <laughs> And then, oh, then Kojima made Peace Walker, a PSP game, and apparently his son didn't think it was that like as good as Portable Ops. So it's like, oh, okay. He's is just Portable like, Ops good? I've never played it. Uh, Portable Ops is weird. It's 
it's in this weird valley where like it's not fully considered canon but like there's weird elements where it is like you fight against a young gray fox called Noel. it's very weird and there's like a there's this girl who has psychic premonitions about like big boss is gonna have like you know liquid and solid and solidus as sons and all this it's very weird like from what i can gather most people don't say it's canon but like it it acts as it as it as if it is like the whole crux of it is like the main guy wants to do his own outer heaven like big boss but uh like it doesn't work out and then he just gives the idea hey why don't you do this and big boss like bet yeah like I, I, I don't think Kojima's outright said it's not canon. I don't think he really acknowledges it. He just said, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's a Metal Gear game. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and deep down, he's just seething. He's like, he, why doesn't my boy like my, my games? Yeah, I'm, it, I'm okay. I'll make a PSV game and he'll like it now. And it's like, man, it didn't work out there for you, Hideo. Yeah. Wow. No matter how hard you try, you can't you can't please who you want to please the most. Isn't that the way? Guys, um as we start to pull into the station here, which is my new fun way of saying that the episode's coming to an end. I want what are your uh favorite Metal Gear games in order? Oh, that's a tough one. I think from a like if i were to say a pure game like a game game i'd say three is the best but like in recent years i've really come around to four like i will admit four sometimes trips over itself and it's oddly like if people take issue with the retconning it does and explains things that it doesn't need to explain but for me like and this is something i didn't come to appreciate about metal gear until i started listening to perfume nationalists and when jack was talking about soap operas it made me realize that metal gear is like a soap opera 100 percent, yeah and i feel like metal gear solid 4 its gameplay is so it is when when it does let you play the game because you know it's arguably more movie than game but when it lets you play the game it's like the best one of the traditional style but I, I love the sort of the angle the game takes where it's like it presents a story of Solid Snake and he's this old, literally almost dead character who is brought back in an age where he's not needed, like in this futuristic year of 20 or 2009 or something in the game's world, mm-hmm. I forget. Mm-hmm. But like it's framing that like the world has moved on, but like it still provides like the most amazing moments, the entire series and like the metal gear Rex versus Ray fight in chapter four is like the most raw Kino thing I've ever seen. Like, uh, or there's moments in that game where like it has these flashback moments to earlier events. And instead of like redoing them in PS3 graphics, like snake will flash back to like his blocky ps1 self like having a memory and i i I appreciate that where he like kojima values those games in their state as like actually you know that is how i meant it to be i don't want to redo the graphics to like 
you know, take advantage of my new fancy game system. Like snake is flashing back to, uh, you know, Meryl with her like five polygon hairdo. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I come to appreciate it. And the, the ending to that game hits hard in a way. I don't think many games can. And, you know, that comes from the fact that it's a game trying to close off solid Snake's story. And at the time, like, the story of Metal Gear and how it's clearly emotional for every character in the game, like game, like, you know, the line where Otacon says to Sonny is like saying snake had a hard life. I literally was watching that cutscene again recently. And I, I literally had to like, <laughs> I had to like catch myself from like tearing mm-hmm. up. It's like that hits hard. Like this character who's been with him, for the last few years and has seen him struggle and all this stuff. And, and, you know, he pulls it together and still can smile and realize that he can lead a better life. And then that graveyard scene, that snake where you think he's literally going to kill himself in the mm-hmm. graveyard. And I'm like, there's no way that they're going to end on that. And then they, they do that big reveal with big boss. Like, four just like hits on every nostalgic beat but also delivers more so for me so i guess i guess what i'm saying is three from a game before as like the metal gear experience is my favorite i love all of them and can't stress enough how much the first one just brings back so many emotions and everything and still hits hard part of me that wants to be cool wants to be like the first metal gear solid that's the best game but uh if i'm if i'm being honest i'm like a big i'm a big boss fan uh three and five are my favorites Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think it mainly comes down to being a gamer like the gameplay level of it Mm because if we're going by story they wouldn't stack up that high even mm-hmm. though they're necessary and they are interesting, but um, the mechanics and the way that they hit, because Metal Gear 3 came at a time where the graphics were like, holy fucking shit. And it also changed up the close quarters combat system, uh, the stealth with you know being able to use camouflage, like all this innovative shit. And then five came along and the same way it was like, oh my God, this is like leaps and bounds. It wasn't leaps and bounds above four, but it just had the same, it, it hit the same way um, mm-hmm. yeah, I get as, a, as a game, you know? Yeah, I, I get what you mean. Five is very fun to play, like, because it's just like little sandboxes and it's like, I'll toss a decoy balloon at, at an enemy and he'll get confused and I can go like stealth my way through a base and it's just like free and fun. Yeah, before open world became like just unbearably dull somehow, you know, mm-hmm. when it was still fun. Yeah. Yeah, I think I am that guy though. I think for me, it's the first one just because, you know, it's tied so much to memories and it's extremely formative in fact if i was to go out a little bit more on a limb i would maybe say two because of the i've never been hoodwinked like that by a piece of entertainment i think ever i i just didn't see it coming and 
I tend to recall things with fondness when uh, I hated them at first, right? Um, because everything that I've done uh, after that was informed by this feeling of subversion that that two was able to pull off, right? And so I think that I think for me it's definitely one, just because of like Metal Gear dominated my life from the ages of. 12 to 14 maybe and that was just like none of the other games have kind of done that even though they're they're good in their mm-hmm. in their own ways but uh since you had the the three or four toss up I, w- I would say a strong one with depending on the day and how saucy i'm feeling maybe two maybe sons of liberty but they're good man good games i fucking yeah. fucking love games dude <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. <laughs> you're now you're coming back. You're returning to gamer. Yeah, and it's weird that I started hating women once I got back. <laughs> I mean, you know, it goes. You know, it's like peanut butter and jelly. It's like I'm a gamer. Oh, I despise women and minorities Ugh. yeah there you go there you go yeah, the minorities <laughs> thing i'm sure will come along soon i'm getting there i'm not quite there yet <laughs> well you consistently have an out for both because you're married to you know you're in an interracial marriage that's so, true i'm married yeah. to a, a person of color woman yeah so, so when a games um, journalist calls you sexist and racist be like uh have you seen my wife dude they came up with the biggest out for that ever right i don't know if you remember this psyop but there was a psyop like five or six years ago where people would quite rightly say hey i can't be racist like my my you know my wife is black or something like that right or my wife is mexican or something and then they started saying like actually that doesn't matter you're still a racist and it's like no you're not you're, you're actually not if you're like, if, cause you know, it was the, the black friend psyop, right? Oh, right. You have black friends. Whereas, you know, like the, the answer to that is, I mean, yeah, I do. And that does legitimately count for, for something. One of the many uh, libtard psyops of the past five or six years that have just, when you go back and think about them, you you wonder how you ever like i remember the classic the the classic one of um uh what was it black people can't be racist because racism is actually about privilege that was mm-hmm. one that i bought into right because mm-hmm. i was you've listened to the show so you know that i was like libtarded for quite some time and i remember talking to a buddy of mine who works in hvac we were drinking beer and I was explaining this to him. It was something that I had just seen on the internet and I was happy with my new shiny piece of info. Right. So I was like, check it out. And I was like laying out for him this idea. And I'll never forget like the look on his face. Just of like, what the, f- what the fuck are you talking about? Of co- <laughs> like, of course they can. Like if, if, you know, if like a black person doesn't like white people because they're white, that's racist. And I'd be like, no, no, no. No, you see, there's, there's different, there's different there. power structures involved here. You, and it's funny because now he's on that side of stuff. He got libtarded. And now I have, I have horseshoed back around to being racist. So it's like, you know, it's funny the, how things turn out. 
when that's in that meeting, you're just like, hold on, check this out for real. You know, hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Listen, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Check this out. Check this out. You hear about prejudice, you know. It's kind of a wild. Oh, that thing. was yeah. That was the that was the thing, right? <laughs> that was part of the psyop was that you know that black people couldn't be racist, but they could be prejudiced. It's like they do this all the time. Is these like these word games that get so tiring? You know, where they're they're never wrong because they've changed the definitions of like what words actually mean. <laughs> so you'll be arguing with them, and they'll be like, "Nope, nope," and you know they'll get Webster's to to change dictionary definitions of things. Like literally means figuratively now, but in like a in a sneakier way. But anyway, so, so what we're saying is that in order to counter the libtard disease, we all have to be a gamer. You have, I love that. I do love that. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that because because I, and I, I I'm being dead serious here. A lot of gamers who I've met uh, recently are people who just kind of like stuff. Like, I don't think, I think that if you were to look at Twitter or maybe games journalism, you'd think that there was a lot of, uh, like that it's a battleground for some hot button political issues of the day. Um, but every gamer who I know genuinely doesn't seem to give a fuck about any of that. They're just like, yeah, I was playing, um, you know, I played Elden Ring and, you know, and I played Horizon and they're both great. I'm like, okay, yeah. It's cool. You just like stuff, man. That's and that's the one person that's played Horizon. Dude, I don't get that shit. Like, I watched a <laughs> gameplay clip of that, and it was very cinematic. But I was like, I don't understand how this is actually being played. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get what's going on. Uh, that it it always makes me laugh. That like, I because my my Twitter like populates my like you know it's like oh, you like video games. So here's like here's a bunch of tweets by like people talking about games and it's like always people talking about horizon and like has anyone played this game because i i have never seen i've only seen one video of that game like where somebody's playing it all the rest are like screenshots and i'm like this game apparently has sold two million copies and yet i have never seen (laughs) any anyone play this game it's like it's like uh it's like a schrodinger's game or something like like it, it's like presented as like the most epic graphics games ever you see Aloy sweat in real time and there's also like this monster hunter game underneath and like uh like that's cool and all but have you uh, have you heard of Elden Ring and Trifinger Butthole uh yeah, that's great <laughs> no that's it's yeah that was watching the game developers hate on Elden Ring has been really funny right it, they're just it, like it's it's not you should like there, there was a hilarious meme about like uh if it and, was designed it, by ubisoft yeah it was like this increasingly dense ui kind of thing where there's just like icons everywhere and yeah i thought that was <laughs> that was great because there's like this doesn't make any sense like, you can't figure anything out like, it, yeah dude just play the uh, uh like i just don't i don't it's amazing how the FromSoft games just get so much hate because they're they're just games. Like they're not trying to be anything other than like the gamiest game you've ever played, mm-hmm. and layering this like uh, incredibly interesting world and story together. It's like they 
it, it, it feels like a libtard game, like a libtard frying game where it's like, if this game upsets you, then I probably know that you have some really annoying takes down your timeline. Like, it's, <laughs> like it's every, every time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great, um, it's a great filter. Great, yeah. It's a great filter. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you don't, I'm wearing an Elden Ring t-shirt right now. So just so I got my merch game going pretty good, <laughs> but yeah, Elden Ring is probably, uh, it's, it's very cool. But you know, I'm back on Bloodborne, and I think Bloodborne's actually a little bit more successful, just because it's you know it's smaller. There's there's problems with having these open world games where it's amazing, and all consuming, and a, a massive technical achievement. And then there's just Bloodborne, which is comparatively much smaller and hermetic, but is also more cohesive, I think, because of it. So. Mm-hmm. But it's great. I mean, they're all great. I don't, I don't, I'm yeah. not picking, picking favorites on this. Like, because with From Games, if anybody were to ask me, it's what's your favorite From game? I'm like, the one that I'm playing at that time. <laughs> like, even Dark Souls 2 or 3, like when I was playing uh, Dark Souls 3, I was like, oh, this is like, this is the best game easily. Like, this is, yeah. this is crazy. Um, but I yeah. hope. I hope FromSoft does a new Armored Core game. That's what I want from them next. They haven't oh, done a, shit. They haven't done Armored Core in a long time. And supposedly they're making an Armored Core. There was like a leak like a few months ago and it looked really good. But I hope that Elden Ring's success doesn't mean... I mean, it's not like I'm going to be like, Ugh, more, you know, more Dark Soul Bloodborne game. Like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. But I want to see them go back into their library like armored core is cool let's try that one out i'm sure people will buy it yeah yeah at this point anything that has from on it i think is is going to be bought by people i'm hoping for a bloodborne too but again that's because i'm playing bloodborne (laughs) right now so that's just sort of where my and then you'll get to demon souls and be like why isn't a demon souls 2 happen and be like that's that's what dark souls is yeah, it's a funny story. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do I'm have Demon Souls. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, I'm all for Armored Core being the next, being in this Metal Gear mode right now, like that. Yeah. All for mechs. Mm-hmm. This is a mech game that I used to play. Hold on, let me see if I can find it. It's a mech game for the Sega Saturn. I used to play this game. Oh, I think it was it Gun Griffin. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, this looks right. Gun Griffin 2. Yeah, that game was crazy. I, you ever played I, that shit? No. I mean, I really wish I knew how to read Japanese because with my Saturn, I have a thing called a an action replay 4M plus cartridge in it. Which mm-hmm. lets me play Japanese games. Uh, it's like a it like unlocks the region code for your Saturn, which helps with buying games because Japanese Saturn games are cheaper. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of Saturn games with English, like a lot of English, so you can get through it. But I wish I knew how to read Japanese because I have like a, a an Evangelion game for Saturn, but it's mm. all Japanese and it's like. It's like a choose-your-own-adventure game that's like an original story in Evangelion, 
where you know you like make choices like what shinji does uh mm. and then it has like an rpg with the the avas in it i'm like i can i i, I really like shooting myself in the foot that i didn't like want learn japanese i could have saved a lot of hardship here yeah, learning japanese is something that i've legitimately thought about to be able to go through uh takashi Miike's unreleased oh catalog. Oh, oh i wanted to mention this since uh you guys need to play no more heroes yeah yeah it's it's literally if Miike made games i'm like the creator his name's suda 51 so you already know he's he's cool but like <laughs> no more here like when I've been listening to your show and like you guys talk about the movie, like Miike movies, like I'm just thinking like you guys would love the no more heroes games. Cause like they are in many ways, they're kind of like how Kojima does it where it's like these sort of introspective games about like the premises, like this guy who's kind of a loser otaku who like jerks off to like anime girls but he wants to be the greatest assassin in the world. But like, he comes to learn that like, he has to like brutally murder these people. And there's, and it balances this like assassin climbing up the ranks game while also doing like menial chores, like mowing the lawn. It's, it's really tonally dissonant, but somehow it works. And then the third game literally has agitator, the podcast in it. I, I, I am not joking. It, when I saw, like, because I saw your show and I saw, like, the footage for No More Heroes 3 and in between levels, they're the one, the main character and his friend are just sitting on the couch talking about me AK stuff. That's, like, the Incredible. whole point of it. No way. Holy yeah, like, shit. like, they'll just talk about, like, something random. Like, I, I, I forget, like like what they, they i forget exactly what they talked about but like there was movies you guys have talked about like they'll they bring up like and I they like this is i feel like i've heard of this hold on let me look this up i've showed this kelby sound. this i showed kelby this and Miike's actually made cameos in the games he made a cameo in two and three as himself and like <laughs> it's it's like really funny but yeah they're not like perfect by any means they're kind of like questionable and like you know they get kind of repetitive but like i think you guys would really like those games but uh, that would mean getting a switch uh to play the first two and i don't know if you guys have a switch i do have a switch as a matter of uh, fact oh then yeah they you can just they both go for like t- the first two games are like 20 bucks but then mm-hmm. The third game's on the Switch, but they're re-releasing the third game on like PlayStation at the end of the year. Mm. Uh, and all I know is that that is a good thing because the third game in the open world, like doing chores aspect, like its frame rate tanks hard. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. the Switch can't handle it. So like they said there'll be improvements in that on the PlayStation version and the the box art because I'm a sucker for like collector items like the box art is like incredibly cool. Nice. Yeah, I'll wait for the PlayStation one probably cuz I don't really fuck with my Switch anymore. It's uh I don't know, there's something about handheld games I just I just I can't get into them. It's weird. I have, 
I have a bone to pick with the switch in general, but you know, I, I don't want to get into too much in that. I, I think it's like, it, it, it like baby people to a degree. That's creepy. Like yeah. I saw that with the animal crossing game that came out during the pandemic. A lot of girls like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Girls like it because it's a furniture simulator, but like, <laughs> like, <laughs> but like you, you it's like i played it because i had friends who were playing and it was fun for like a month but then you see like people who are like autistically selling their villagers for real money because villagers are like rare and like you just see like these people like become more and more like lobotomized playing like switch games i'm just like this system has like really cursed energy inside of it it doesn't feel right like i the one switch game i enjoy is shin megami tensei 5 because it feels like a literal opposite of what the switch market is it's not for switch players yeah it's crazy that i think david got it to play dark souls didn't you yeah i got to play dark souls yeah and i couldn't get past the butterfly um so i just stopped playing i got uh there are a few games on my Switch that I really enjoyed. Hades was one of them. That was a lot of fun. It's a roguelike top-down action game, uh, mm-hmm. which was my introduction to roguelikes, which I like in theory, but get a and little I- frustrated with uh, and, and don't want to play. Like The whole idea of like when you die, that's it. The game's over. You have to restart. It's In Hades, it's made really cool because... Um, your death actually affects your next run. Like you get to keep your power-ups and shit. So it's, it's kind of a cool thing. You get to a certain point and then you die. But when you go back through your OP and you can, you know, do cool shit and you get different weapons. Um, so I had Hades breath of the wild, which is, I mean, it's obviously a good game, but I couldn't get into it um, because of the baby stuff. I don't know what it is, man. I, I don't like, uh, really cute things like one of my weird pet peeves right now are you know fan artists of Elden Ring that do like cutesy like cartoon versions of the of like Radon or something it'll be like a little it'll be him and his little horse and he'll be heating up a hot pocket it's (laughs) there's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with it you know I don't want to shit too much on you know harmless stuff that people likes but for me personally like I don't know I like uh like dark, creepy, weird stuff. And so, you know, like when you'll see a picture of, you know, the predator and the alien and they're, they're going to watch alien versus predator together at the theater. It like <laughs> makes me bash my head into a mirror, like Dale Cooper at the end of season two. Like I, um, I, what was I even talking about? I can't, well, you, the switch, right. So yeah, the switch like, is the antithesis. Colorful, yeah. Colorful cartoony, stuff it just it doesn't it doesn't work for me and that's a lot of what's what's on there i'm trying to think of what other games i got because there were some really good ones that i got into like had mortal Kombat 11 which was okay um breath of the wild breath of the wild which these dark souls dark souls was really cool but dark souls completely uh feels different on the switch from when i played it on my playstation it's just it's just not the same yeah i i've always had 
a love-hate relationship with Nintendo. Like, I get Nintendo's place in history and all that stuff. They saved the home console market with the NES, but they by be by them being so family friendly they kind of almost prevented they almost like hold things back i mean in the 90s they you know were not like with sega being sega pushing the boundaries like with violence and sex you know with games like the the genesis port of mortal Kombat or night trap on the sega cd you know uh, Nintendo really didn't embrace that stuff really till the GameCube, which I think is their best system is the GameCube because they started to really embrace like more adult games, but then they completely 180 to the fucking Wii. The Wii, the, the Wii and the DS, I think literally uh, are like to blame, you know, because they brought, you know, they brought in the woman into gaming and yeah, it, the, like the, the bowling game. I remember that. And I just, I just, the, the music, like the, the cute little music stuff in the Wii sports. I just, I don't know. I did fuck with tennis though. Tennis was fun. Yeah, the tennis game's cool, but everything else around everything around the Wii is just like, it feels literally like they're trying to like remove parts of your brain to make you stupider. Like, mm-hmm. But like, but there's like cool things on the Wii that are cool. Like, No More Heroes one and two were Wii games at the first because you know it's like a hack and slash game where you can you use like the Wii mode to simulate your katana. Uh, and there's like a like the Wii has one of the best ports of Resident Evil Four on it. Like, there's a really cool game called Mad World on it. That's like this black and white, uh, hyper violent game about uh, you're on a game show in this like uh, escape from New York type setting where everyone's just killing people. And the whole point is to like do stylish kills on enemies, like throwing them into dumpsters with like spikes on it or throwing them into trains or impaling them with stop signs. Like that's cool. Like, oh, yeah. it, and it's all done in this like black and white, like uh, Sin City type aesthetic. And your character is like the like really cool guy. Like, I, you have a game like that on the Wii, and then you have like, uh, you have like, then you have it next to like Animal Crossing. It's like, what is going on here? Yeah. Uh, well. On that note, I gotta take a shit. So we're gonna we're gonna have to wrap up so that I can go poop. All right, Johnny Sasaki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go go have go have explosive diarrhea. I need to go make <laughs> yeah. some weapons. Yeah, yeah. But uh let's we should pick this back up maybe when No More Heroes 3 comes out, or maybe if we I don't know what else we'd really talk about with Metal Gear because I think that you had some really great encapsulations of what makes the series work. It makes Kojima such an interesting auteur and director and writer and producer and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like uh, we wrapped Metal Gear here, but we'll definitely have you back because uh, you're awesome. You're really cool. Uh And I really like your 
whole social media thing. And I just, I think you're a, a nice guy and a smart guy and I'm just happy to know you. Uh, well, likewise, I, I really, I love your show. Uh, agitators, you know, it's going to be a show where it's like, Oh man, new agitator comes out. It's like, I'm going to be listening to that immediately. Like all my other shows, I gotta, I have a lot of podcasts I have to catch up on. I'm trying to listen to FAA, the filthy Armenian adventures. And I gotta get, I I gotta get on car crash for our, our, our boy, Eddie, who couldn't make it tonight. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry yeah. That yeah. He couldn't make it, but we love you, uh, Eddie. All right, the, I mean, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, I, I, I love you guys both. You're, you're, I vibe with what you guys put out, and, and I, I really I want to get like your uh, guys' books because I, I really loved your book on Death Stranding, David, and I, I've been meaning to read yours, Kelby, so uh, I will continually support you too whatever you do thank you i appreciate it man love you too what a fear in my heart but you're so supreme Survive!